All right, we are into a brand new series, Explore God. And as I mentioned to you already, um, those, that texting is going to be kind of interesting. So if you have any questions that you would like to be answered, uh, don't forget you can text those. Even during the service, I won't call your name out like I usually do. Uh, I'll assume that you're texting and being, uh, being diligent in your, uh, in your listening so that you want to uh, uh, get a question answered maybe in those... Uh, in those, uh, uh, in the texting. Sorry, my computer's doing uh, being a little bit of a pain here. Hang on one second, and I will go to where I need to go. Excellent, good. The the questions that we're going to be asking over the next seven weeks uh, are on the screen. Here's the ones that we're asking. Number one, does life have purpose? We're going to be checking out that one today. Is there a God? Number two. Number three, why does God allow pain and suffering? Number four, is Christianity too narrow? Number five, is Jesus really God? Number six, is the Bible reliable? And number seven, can I know God personally? The reason that we're doing this is because a group of, well, hundreds of churches actually, uh, I think the number in now is almost 900 churches in the Chicagoland area, are doing Explore God together. The purpose of us doing this together is because we're all in kingdom work together. Our hope is that this will give you, uh, the church, an opportunity to maybe invite somebody that has some of these questions lingering in the back of their brains and uh, give them an opportunity to have those questions answered as they're sitting comfortably in a chair by you. So really, our uh, and Brent and, and uh, all joking aside, Brent and John over the last two Sundays have done a wonderful job of kind of laying the field out for us and helping us understand our goal as believers here is to spread the gospel, to spread the good news, to answer the questions of people, of those around us that have questions about where they stand with God, who they are, and who God is. And so we're doing this series over the next seven weeks uh, to give you an opportunity to bring those folks here and have their questions answered. And in our community groups that we're going to be doing also, uh, we're, Lord willing, we'll be adding on even a few more community groups. Our goal is to get all of us involved in a community group. So if you need to sign up for a community group, this is the time to do it. If you ever thought about checking it out or, or finding out what a community group is about, you can get online, vcil.org, and you can sign up for one of our community groups. Brent is our community group leader. Raise your hand, Brent, so everybody knows who you are in blue, blue sweater. And uh, Brent will, Brent will uh, jump online. Uh, the email will come to him, and he will put you immediately into a small group where you can go and you can be with others that have the same questions or different questions, and you can talk about each each one of these Sundays as we go through. I guarantee you, you will have questions, uh, which is why we're trying to give you as many uh, uh, ways possible that you can get those questions into us and we can have answers uh, provided for you. Our goal during these seven weeks is not to preach to you, but it is to explain to you answers to these questions that every person has and give you enough information so that you can answer it for those that you are ministering to or those that you've been praying for will come to know the Lord. All right? So this is a very practical seven weeks, and I hope that you'll get involved with this. Start inviting your friends. Uh, start getting involved with our community groups. And like I said, we hope to start, Lord willing, two more community groups uh, out of this uh, time that we spend over these next seven weeks talking about this uh, Explore God series. So this morning... My purpose. Why am I here? So there are two lingering questions that, that I think sink into the heart of every individual. Number one question is, who am I made for? 
Every person that has ever lived has thought at one time, who am I here for? You have two options in this category, by the way. You have the option of, I am here for humankind. And then you could be here for like somebody else, or you could be here for yourself. You could be here for a lot of different humans. But your category could be, I'm here for human beings. If that's the case, you will want to please other human beings right? Every marriage that I do, I love it. Every marriage I do, I, we go through the, the wedding vows. I don't remember them. Can you remember the wedding vows? How does the wedding vow go? Do promise to, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. What? To, well, there's one more in there, though. For better, for worse. There you go. Yeah. You'd think those that I married would remember that one. I'm looking in the back row over there. (laughs) Uh, Those vows, if you think about them, you're literally saying the rest of my life is going to be about making you happy. Isn't that interesting? I vow the rest of my life to do whatever it takes to make you a happy person. We understand this concept of making other people happy. Happy, we understand the concept of making ourselves happy. Most of us probably got married, since we're using that illustration, because our spouse, at least way back then, made us happy. Could be changed by now, but way back then, they had some sort of a happiness factor in our own lives. I just drove uh, drove my daughter, my second daughter, to the airport. She flew down to the DR. She's going to be working with um, some children, doing VBS with them and and helping in a local church there in uh, the Dominican Republic. She's doing a week-long mission trip. And Hannah, Hannah, this is just, she loves doing this kind of thing. So she's so excited that she gets to do this. But I've seen people interviewed on the news. Like, you know, like, like they're, they're helping out in these uh, war-ravaged areas, or these tsunami-destroyed areas. And, and the, the news media will go down there and they'll stick the mic in front of the person's face and they'll say, why are you here? Why are you helping all these people you don't even know? And the answer inevitably is because it makes me feel good, Right? it makes me happy. It's interesting the way that that question is answered. If our purpose is to serve others, to make them happy, or even to make ourselves happy by serving others, inevitably that always falls short. Because the people that you're trying to make happy will always let you down. And then you will stop being happy. And if that circle goes on long enough, you have a cycle that inevitably could make you both happy for unhappy for a long, long time. So your second option is, if I'm made for humans, myself or others, what if I'm not made for humans? What if I'm made for God? Maybe I see myself, my life, as something made for me. And so I spend my life trying to figure out what is the best way to make God happy with me. That could be the other answer that we fill in for why, or who am I made for? Which leads to the next question. And then here's the next question. Not only who am I made for, but number two, what am I made to do? If I'm here for another person, I'll spend my time trying to make that person happy. If I'm here for myself, I'll spend my life trying to make me happy. If I'm here for God, I'll spend my life trying to make him happy. So what am I made to actually do? Two questions that hinge together. And inevitably, the way that you answer these questions is what's going to keep you moving from day to day. These, the way you answer these two questions are what gets you out of bed in the morning. I'll explain more about that as we go forward. 
Who likes to do Legos? Like Legos? Uh, who used to like doing Legos? Did everybody have Legos? You remember when Legos were real, when they had, they had the four little knots on the top and the three holes in the bottom, right? That's the way they should stay, right? That's the way when they were real Legos. Well, Legos have really changed over time. And uh, when I was a kid, the most creative you could get is you could build a spaceship that was, or, or a big tower that looked like just a big brick chimney, you know? I made a chimney. That's as good as you get. Nowadays, though, you can get all these funny-shaped Legos with more than three squares and, or, or uh, eight squares and three holes. You can get all kinds of different shapes for Legos. Uh, I went down to the water tower. Have you been down there? There's a big Lego thing in the, in the front window there. They have the city of Chicago there and little people walking around in planes and everything. That's not Legos. This is Legos. Why is it when you build a Lego project, it captures your attention? Do you remember building Legos? And you would, you would think, where is this going to go? And what can I do next? And, and then when you finish it, for me, it was always like a spaceship. I loved the spaceships. So I would always make this wild and crazy spaceship, the bigger the better. And then I'd get tired of it, and I'd smash it apart, and I'd start all over again and do something completely different. Why is it when you're done building a Lego thing that you spend so much time on, why is it that you always want more? You're creative, you're dedicated, you've got just the right look, but then... Then you want more. You want a bigger project. You want a more complicated pattern. You want something larger than you had before. You want Legos with more holes in them. Why is it that we have this drive in us to always want more? Mick Jagger must have been thinking about Legos when he wrote, I can't get no satisfaction, right? (laughs) (laughs) What is the drive in us to always want more? You want me to illustrate this? I, I meet people that collect cars. That's, that's great. Like they have this one car and you go and they show you that car first and then you look behind it and there's 20 other cars back there. Why, why are people, when they collect something, one is not enough? Or, or why is it when they, when they collect uh, coins, the, the right one, they just got to get the right one. And then when they get that, it has to be another right one. And wh- why is it when you, uh, when you meet people that are out for money, is, is the, the, the cap never the same? Why is it the cap always gets higher? Why is it when you have an addiction to drugs, you always need more? Why when you're drinking alcohol and you're an alcoholic, do you just need one more? Why is it when we want one thing, we so quickly get it and we lose our desire for it so that we just want something else? I can't tell you the amount of people that they said, Craig, can you pray for me? I'd love to get this job. This is my dream job. I'd love to get this job. So we pray and and they get the job, and they start at the job, and they work at the job, and three months later they go, Craig, can you pray for me? I need a different job. This job is no, no good anymore. I need a different job. Why is it that we never seem to be satisfied? We always want more. I would venture to say that this hunger for more is what defines us as human beings. There's no other being on the planet that has this drive to want more, more, more. Every other, every other uh, uh, living being, every other thing is just happy building a nest or building a hive. or They never want bigger and better. It's just that's what their instincts drive them to do. It's the human being that builds something, makes something, gets something, but always wants more. Humans are wired this way. They are wired to find purpose in this life. And we, we all are wired the same. We just have different purposes that we pursue. And God knows this, which is why he created us to be exactly this way. By the way, let me also say that this is one reason why Jesus answered this question so well 
uh, when the Pharisees asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, right? And, they, and then he said, the second greatest commandment is love your brother as yourself, right? God created us with this need to have this whole filled that has the word more written on it. He has created us to have that whole filled with himself first. Blaise Pascal says this, What else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once a man in true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, to help he cannot find in in those that are. And none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. This morning I want to tell you about three stories. Three men, all their uh, uh, names start with the letter S, interestingly enough. Who had a pursuit in life to want more. And they all got it. Every one of these guys got more. In fact, they got bundles more. And it still showed their hearts in pretty unique ways. The first one, his name was Samson. Do you know the story of Samson? Samson was the last judge of Israel. He was in a line of 12 judges that Israel had right before the kings, right before Saul was anointed king. Samson is an example to us of a person who squandered his life after searching for his purpose. Now, Samson knew his purpose even before he was born. Did you know that? His mom and dad were visited by an angel. Actually, his mom was and told his dad about it. You can find the story in Judges 13, starting in verse 5. The angel visits uh, Samson's mom and says uh, this to her, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. What church was Samson's purpose? He was going to do what? Save Israel from the save Israel from the Philistines. He was going to kill a bunch of people. He was going to he was going to grow up. He was going to get strong. He was going to kill a bunch of Philistines, and he was going to get the land back. He was going to get the land back from the Philistines and give it back to Israel. He would be this next judge who did this. And you can read the book of Judges. It's wonderful stories. You should read your kids before they go to bed at night uh, about these people that God raised up to kill a bunch of people who were oppressing Israel so that Israel could be freed again. Samson was one of these people. Now, you probably know the story of Samson, right? Do you know the story of Samson? Samson had long hair. Samson tore, tore the mouth of the lion open. You remember that? Samson? Samson and Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba right? No. Delilah. <laughs> Delilah. Sorry, David. Uh, <laughs> Samson and Delilah. That's right. You know the story of Samson. Samson was supposed to be set apart both physically and spiritually for a very special purpose. God's purpose. The woman, the mom, her mom, his mom, knew this so well, she came and told her husband in verse 6 of chapter 13. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me. His appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. 
And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then no drink, no wine, no strong drink, nor, eat, nor shall eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb until the day of his death. Do you know why Samson had long hair? He had a Nazarite vow from the day he was born. And the Nazarite vow included no cutting your hair. Kind of a Clay Matthews situation. So he was not allowed to cut his hair at all. He was not allowed to eat any unclean thing. Nothing with blood in it. And he was not allowed to, uh, uh, to have any drink. No alcohol. Uh, nothing that was fermented at all. His entire life. He was to look differently than the people around him. This Nazarite vow was meant to set him apart because it was meant every morning for him to look in the mirror and say, look at me, I'm Samson. I look different from everybody else because I am here for a purpose. God wants me to save my people from the oppressors, the Philistines. Everybody who saw Samson was meant to understand that guy is different. That guy is meant for a special purpose. He was meant to use his strength. God gave him this incredible strength so that he could defeat all of the enemies because this was his purpose. And he was meant to take this incredible strength to defeat the enemies of God. And in doing so, cause those around him to glorify God and for him to give glory to God even more. And Samson squandered that gift in some pretty crazy ways. Samson used his gift not to please God, but to absolutely please himself. His entire life was dedicated to one person, and it was not God. Here's some highlights from Samson's life. He abused his parents and lied to them, causing them to sin. He got angry and killed constantly, not for righteous reasons, but because he was being wronged by others. He married a Canaanite woman, forbidden by God and his parents. And he lied to his parents. He forced them to allow him to marry her. He constantly broke his Nazarite vow, seeing it only as an out-of-date, negotiable, cultural thing, and even joked about it with godless people. He was constantly driven by his unchecked emotions. He slept around. He lied constantly. He betrayed others regularly. And his final act, which could have been an act of righteous sacrifice, pushing down pillars that held up this pagan temple where all the Philistines were. He killed more in his death than he did in his life because they were all gathered around to mock Samson because Samson was the judge God gave Israel to get rid of the Philistines. And he didn't do that at all. And so he tore down that temple and his final prayer at his death was, Lord, revenge me. Give me this ability to avenge avenge myself for the eyes that the Philistines tore out of my skull. Not the glory of God at all. All for Samson. Samson acknowledged who he was made for. In his his appearance and in his great strength. But he ignored why he was put on the planet. He kept his long hair all his life until, until Delilah cut it off. But he never fulfilled his purpose. And he chose to use all his gifts for himself and his own pleasure. And the story of Samson is meant to tell us about an individual who knew their creator but ignored their calling. Let me say that one more time. The story of Samson is meant to give us an example of an individual who knew their calling but ignored their creator. You know your gifts? You know what you're good at? You know what God has blessed you with? 
are ignoring God, yours is the story of Samson. To use every gift, every blessing, every great thing that God has given you to satisfy yourselves and those around you is to follow in the path of Samson. This is a story of knowing your Creator but ignoring your calling, of knowing who you were made for but ignoring why you were placed on the earth. First story of Samson. Kind of depressing, right? You should go home and read this story. It's even worse. All right, next story. Story of Solomon. Our next S man. Solomon knew he had a God-shaped hole in his heart. Solomon knew why he was created. He was created to be the king of Israel. After David passed away, Solomon is David's son, and Solomon takes the reins from David and does incredible things for Israel, builds a great temple, makes their name great, conquers countries, makes Israel bigger than it's ever been before, richer than it's ever been before, stronger armies than ever before. Solomon was a great king. In fact, it says in Solomon's reign, everybody sat under their own fig tree, which means nothing to us as Greek people. But as a Hebrew person, you'd go, ooh, that sounds great. Sitting under your own fig tree is an example of what it meant to sit. We, we might say, sit on a beach in a hammock. Under Solomon, nobody had need for anything. Everybody was at peace. Everybody enjoyed their lives. Solomon knew what he was created for. Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon himself writes with his own hand, He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also put eternity into uh, into men's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, Solomon knew the pursuit of God can never be satisfied completely on this planet. We'll never find out completely what what God is doing in this life. Why do, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know, but God does. And that's what Solomon, in all his wisdom, is writing. God is great, and God has a plan for all of our lives. And God knows what he's doing. Trust God. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes 3. And not just those of us that love God. Solomon is saying every person has eternity in their hearts. You know what that means? Every person who's ever walked on the planet has contemplated at some point, is there a God? You know Why? Every person has eternity in their hearts. They know they have a spiritual side. Every person. Even if they deny the true and living God, they still believe they have a spiritual side because God has put that thing, that eternity factor into our hearts. But Solomon ignored who he was made for. Solomon had his gifts but ignored why he was made Uh, No, he he acknowledged why he was made. He just didn't acknowledge who he was made for. He he acknowledged he was going to be a great and powerful king, and that's exactly what he turned out to be. He used his gifts for all the right reasons, but he didn't use them to bring glory to God. Solomon had everything at his fingertips, fingertips and never stopped pursuing things for personal fulfillment. And it wasn't until the end of his life that he writes a book called Ecclesiastes. Ever heard about this book of Ecclesiastes? Uh, This is a real downer book. If you ever want to read it, it's real short. It's only about five or six chapters, real short. Uh, And it lays out life at its fullest and how life at its fullest is still a big disappointment. In fact, have you ever heard the phrase, vanity of vanities, all is vanity? That's straight out of the book of Ecclesiastes. 
some of the highlights from Ecclesiastes. This is his... This is his opus. This is what he writes down, his his magnus opus. He writes down and he says, this is my life. Everything that you're reading about in Ecclesiastes is a life of an old man writing his last thoughts on a piece of paper and realizing he's lived his life for the right purpose, but for the wrong person. Ecclesiastes 6, 7, he says, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. Do you think Mick Jagger got it from there? Maybe that's where he got it from, right? Ecclesiastes is an entire book written in, in regret for a life that is squandered. You ever heard the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? Straight out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Here it is. Ecclesiastes 5.18. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Who's excited? Depressing, right? Because if constant personal satisfaction is your pursuit, it will forever elude you. Let me say that one more time. If constant personal satisfaction is your pursuit, it will constantly elude you. This is from a man who had everything. Everything at his fingertips. Do you know he was the wisest man on the earth? He loved his people. He expanded the kingdom, but he made a whole lot of mistakes that revealed his misunderstanding of his purpose. His whole life was in a pursuit of personal pleasure over God's glory. He had money, but he always wanted more. He had wisdom, but he would cleverly use it to build his own reputation. He had stuff that it was never enough. He had women, but they never seemed to satisfy. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. And if you do the math, if he spent a night with a woman per night, it'd be three years before we went through the whole roster. Personal pursuit for satisfaction will never give you a lasting purpose. One chariot was never enough. Like for us. One car is never enough. One woman is not enough. Not if you find your purpose in sexual relationships. One drug is never enough. Not if your purpose is to get high. One drink is never enough. Not if you find your purpose in, in alcohol and getting wasted. One balanced bank account is never enough. Not if you find your purpose in wealth. You see, it's this Lego thing. We, we, we build it and we get it and we look at it and we say, eh, I want more. More, more, more. I got to have more. Why we go on diets? We have way too many mores. Want another helping? Sure, bring it on. Solomon got to the end of his life and realizes he squandered his purpose, using his incredible gifts but forgetting who he should be using them for. And I want to read to you a chunk of scripture. It's a little bit long, but this is from the hand of Solomon himself as he's getting ready to die. (laughs) Here's what he says. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. 
I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all my hands had done, and the toil I had expended doing it, and behold, it was all vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Do you hear the pen of a man scripting out words of satisfaction or remorse in that page? Solomon built Lego set after Lego set. He made Legos for gardens and Legos for pools and Legos of slaves and armies and silver and gold and treasure, pleasure after pleasure. And in the end, Solomon died an old man absolutely unsatisfied. Solomon leaves the rest of us words of wisdom so that we will not squander our own lives chasing endless pursuits. But the last two verses of Ecclesiastes, the last two verses are amazing verses. And I'd encourage you to memorize them because this is how he finishes his final words, his final writings. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The greatest pursuit in this life is to know the God who made you and find out why he gave you breath. And by the way, God still has a purpose for you if you're still here. If he doesn't need you anymore, you would be removed. You are here because God still has a purpose for your life. And I've gone through times in my life when I'm thinking to myself, all right, I've, I've accomplished everything I, apparently that I'm going to accomplish. It's time for me to retire. And God will not let me retire. Well, let me try something different. Not as long as I have breath and I have life. The pursuit is to know God more and seek Him more every day. This is why, by the way, God leaves these breadcrumbs out for us to follow. You ever come across one of God's breadcrumbs? You know the story of Hansel and Gretel, right? The breadcrumbs lead them home. These breadcrumbs God strews on the path for us are meant to be, are meant to be in our lives so that we can find our way home because we get distracted a lot in life. We forget why. We may know why we're here. We may have all kinds of gifts and we may use them every day, but we forget who we're here for. So God lays out the breadcrumbs and we're meant to follow those breadcrumbs home to him. You wonder why God has put those breadcrumbs in your mind? Every experience, everything that every time you look back and think to yourself, my life is over, I'm not worth anything or anything, God will, God will remind you of one of those breadcrumbs. Remember when this happened in your life? It may be a person, it may be an experience, maybe something like that. It's a breadcrumb that God puts out there because if you're still here, you're meant to come home. You're meant to find out why you're here and stop squandering your life because Solomon didn't get it until the very end. And we need to get it a long time before that. Breadcrumbs that God gives us are incredible. Uh, and, and he's given every one of us breadcrumbs, even if we don't 
love God or serve the one true living God, there's still breadcrumbs out there meant to draw us back to God. You know that, right? Romans 1 says that every person ever born knows that there is a God because they open up their eyes and they see the world around them. And they think to themselves, how did this get here? And you could chalk it up to chance or the universe or whatever personification you want to give the tree in your backyard that loves you more than God does. I don't care what you name it. The problem is, if you don't give acknowledgement to the one true God for what He has done, you'll miss it every time. Romans 1 says this, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been, what church? Clearly perceived, ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so that they, meaning Every human that has ever lived is without excuse. What kind of a human being could look at a little child born, hold it in their arms, and think to themselves, the universe gave me a gift? You've got to suppress some serious breadcrumbs to give credit to a non-thinking entity for the blessings that come into your life. I want to tell you, there is a God. He loves you, and He has poured blessings over your life your entire life. He has drained buckets of blessings on every person that has ever walked the earth. And those buckets of blessings are meant to draw us back to Him. Solomon's Magnus Opus is Ecclesiastes. And it is written to show us the result of knowing your calling, but ignoring your Creator. Of knowing why you were placed on the earth. Solomon did great things. He was a great king. He fulfilled his purpose but ignoring who you were made for. He didn't do it for the right reasons, for the, for the right person. Which brings me to our final example, the last S. And his name is Saul. You might know him as Paul. Paul the Apostle started out not as Paul, but as Saul. Saul was a wicked, terrible, hell-bound, disgusting, murderous individual. Did you know that? He was like one of the worst person. You would not have this guy over for dinner. Not if you're a Christian, because he would get up from the table and then kill you all. <laughs> he did not like the church. In fact, it was his job to destroy the church. He grew up doing what others told him to do. He had the greatest teachers of all time. He was what he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous to destroy the church doing the purpose that others told him he should follow, persecuting the church in the name of a dead religion. And in shame, he admits this later in his life. These are his own words from Saul, Acts 22. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the wisest educators of his time. According to the strict manner of the law under our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. He was talking to a bunch of Pharisees. I persecuted the way to the death. The way is Christianity. I persecuted Christianity to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. This is the kind of person Paul the Apostle was. When he, when he, uh, before he met Jesus. He met Jesus later on in life, when he was an adult. He was on his way to persecute the church. 
And he was on his way with a bunch of other guys. And Jesus knocks him off the donkey, he falls on the ground, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Interesting phrase. Because Saul, Paul, had never seen Jesus. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Meaning that when you hurt one of mine, you hurt me. Saul was persecuting the church. Paul talks about it later on in Acts 22. He continues, verse 7, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? Not Jesus, Lord. Lord meaning a a term of uh, uh, respect. And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And Paul, Saul, was left with two choices. Continue in his false pursuit of life, which he has dedicated his entire life to, to destroy the church, or change. Change. Decide in his heart that he's going to stop persecuting the church and instead become a part of it. Decide instead of hurting the church and killing church people, he would become one who starts planting churches and proclaiming what the church is teaching. This had to be hard for him. Can you imagine? He would have to admit his whole life was squandered up to this point. He was wrong. And in order to change, he'd have to admit he was wrong and God was right. And I'm glad to tell you, he did just that. (laughs) He gave his life to Jesus Christ. And Paul realized once he was made for, once he admitted up to this point I was wrong, once he admitted that and realized who he was made for, Jesus Christ, and what he was created to do, not persecute the church, but build the church, Paul helped turn the world upside down. In fact, more books in the New Testament were written through the inspiration of God by Paul than any other, any other person in the Bible. Paul established church after church. He pulled people together out of their cultures, out of their religions, out of their false religions, and he put them together in churches, and the church changed the world because Paul decided to change. By the way, I think this is why older men have a really hard time coming to church because if they've lived for any other reason their entire lives and meet Jesus a life-changing moment. Give their lives to Jesus. They have to admit everything they've done up to this point was wrong. That's tough. Especially for males. Well, maybe just for me. But especially for those that are males, I think. Paul had clarity all of a sudden about whose he was and what he was meant to do. And he writes one phrase I just want to share with you. And it took me a long time to filter out what phrase I wanted to share with you because Paul writes so many great things through the inspiration of the, script, of, of the Holy Spirit. But I love what he says in 1 Corinthians 10.31 because he talks about purpose and he talks about it in a way that he understands because he lived for the wrong reasons, gave his life to Jesus Christ and began living for the right reasons. And here's what he says. So, whether, in fact, let's read it together. It's just so good. Would you read it with me? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Who made you? God. Why are you here? To bring God glory. This is written by a man who had to admit he was wrong. <laughs> in big ways. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for the church to accept this guy in? 
This guy used to visit churches to drag people out and kill them. And now he's coming in and he's saying, I was wrong. Would you accept me in this body and allow me to worship Jesus Christ with you? Would that have been difficult, do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. The story of Saul is about a man who knew his calling, but later in life discovered his creator. Knowing why he was placed on the earth, but coming to life when he knew who he was made for. So the message this morning is this. Here's the so what. Here's the bottom line. Which one of these guys would you feel most comfortable pulling up a chair to and having a a little conversation with? Which one do you identify with the most? Solomon? Samson? Saul? Which one would cause you the most interest to pull up a chair with and say, let's chat a little bit. Tell me a little bit about why you are this way, because I think I'm this way too. Samson, you know who you were made for, but you waste your potential on the earth. Every time you look in the mirror, you know you're made for God. You got the long hair flowing all the way down to the floor. You know you're made for God. You can't hide it. You just ignore that you're going to use your gifts for him. Or Samson, or, or Solomon, You will use your gifts. You'll do your job. You'll make a great kingdom for Israel. You'll be a great king. You'll bless Israel left and right. But you'll use every gift instead of pleasing God, most of all to satisfy yourself. Or Saul. Then Paul. You've come to a point in your life when you say, you know what? I've been wrong. I've got to start tweaking some things. I've got to start changing some things. I realize that I have been living for the wrong person or I've been using my gifts for the wrong person and Saul had to admit that and maybe you do as well look how these men fared the rest of their days Samson died, went to heaven but lived a very sad life with little show for it Solomon died with lots of toys and even more regrets (laughs) Solomon probably had the most toys of any person on the planet and died with a heart full of regret. Saul trusted Christ, discovering both his creator and his calling. And if you don't get these categories right, if you don't get these categories right, you'll never live this life right. And it's so easy to get lost. When I was in high school, I had a friend, his name was Paul. He was one of the guys I befriended first at the new workplace where I started. He was a funny guy. Everybody invited him to their parties. He was, I was uh, 17, he was 21, 22. He was older than me. And he, he really was the life of the party. Everybody loved Paul. Paul had a very big, dark hole in his heart that he didn't show to anybody, not even to me. We would get together. If I had lunch at the same time that he did, we would always end up having lunch together. I always told him about Jesus. I don't think, uh, I didn't didn't think he was listening, but I told him about Jesus anyway. And um, he listened because he was my friend, but never seemed to make any life-altering decisions. I graduated shortly after that and went to uh, college. And when I was at college, I got a phone call from one of my other friends who was a friend with Paul and with me. And he called me up and he said, Craig, his name is Tommy. 
said, Craig, are you sitting down? I said, no, I sit down. I sat down. He said, I have some bad news I need to share with you. Paul killed himself last night. I said, what? Right out of the blue. He said, yeah, Paul had this girl in his life he just loved to death. She never gave him the time of day. He chased her like, like I've never seen a guy chase a girl. Thought the world of her, put all of his, all of his emphasis on this one girl. She never gave him the time of day, and so I didn't think anything about it. When I went to college, they weren't together. But I heard that while I was there, she decided that she was, you know, she's getting older, time's ticking away or whatever it is, and she decided she can't do any better than Paul. And so she ended up having a relationship with Paul. They moved in together. And as they were living together, it only took a couple of months before one morning she rolled over, looked at him in the eyes, and said, Paul, you're not the man I thought you were. Packed her bags and walked out of the house, and he got a gun and shot himself that night. I want to tell you that that story, every time I tell it, continues to break my heart because I didn't know, I didn't know the depth of Paul's pain. Not that I, not that I could have done anything if I did know it, but I, I didn't know. And what, what hurts worse is that he didn't know where to turn. Paul reminds me of Every time I talk about purpose, I'm I'm always drawn to that story of my friend Paul because he put all of his chips into the bag of somebody. And when that person let him down, he had nothing to live for. That is not the way we're created to be. We're not created to find our fulfillment in our spouse or our girlfriend or our boyfriend. We're not created to find fulfillment in what we have in our wealth or in our bank account. We're not created to have our fulfillment in what we own or what we give away or how we are philanthropists in our neighborhood. We are not created to find our worth and our purpose in things this way. We are meant to find our fulfillment and our purpose in God alone. And I want to tell you, unless you do that, you'll never live life as it's meant to be lived. God is the brother that sticks closer than a brother. God is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. God is the one that will never leave us or forsake us. God is the one when we pray, he answers, he hears, he hurts, and he walks with us. God is the one that comforts us. God is the one that encourages us. God is the one that convicts us. God is the one that pulls us. God is the one that guides us. God is the one that provides for us. God is the one that we are meant to be living for, and we are meant to serve our entire lives. And until you get this right, you will be searching this endless pursuit of satisfaction. God is meant to to fill the God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. And the answer of purpose is seen every single time we have our friends that do stuff like that. And it's not meant to be hidden from us. God shows us from creation and from his word. He wants that place first. That's why when Jesus was asked a question, he didn't say, let me take a day and think about it and I'll get back to you. When the guy asked him, what is the greatest commandment? What is the thing I need to be thinking about first and last at the end of every day, at the beginning of every day, what should I be thinking about? And Jesus quickly responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You get that right? You'll find purpose. And you'll find satisfaction. This is, what, this is what Solomon writes at the end of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter is this. After all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. 
I can't tell you in this sermon why God has put you on this earth. Because he's put you on the earth for a different purpose than he's put me on the earth. You have a different reason for being here than I do. Even if you're a non-believer, if you don't know God as your Savior, if you don't know Jesus, if you look hard enough, Christian or non-Christian, there is evidence as to why you're here. You'll be good at something. Do it with all your might. God has gifted you to use that gift. But I can tell you this. You were created by God and you were created for God. Not for yourselves. Not for religion. But for a relationship. You were created on purpose. For a relationship with your Creator. You were created for purpose. To serve and worship your Creator. And so my challenge to you is simple this morning. How about living life with purpose? Let's pray. So, Father, we come to the end of this exploration of three different men's lives. Um, So unique in the way that they lived their lives, different gifts, different ways that they could bless others and find joy on the planet. Solomon, a great king. Samson, a strong deliverer. Saul, smart, talented leader. And yet each one of them squandered their gifts in some area, either serving the wrong person or not using their gifts like they should. And Paul is an encouragement to us because at one point in his life he said, that's enough. And he gave his life to you and he lived a life of full satisfaction and made a difference. So Father, I pray that if there's any here this morning that have heard this word, that you would, in only the way that you can, visit them in an intimate way, pull apart the barriers in their hearts, and enter into a way that they understand what you are saying to them and what you're asking them to do. Help none of us to leave here not understanding who made us and why we were made. I pray, Lord, that none of us, nobody in this room, nobody who hears the sound of my voice, would ever lay on their bed with regret, but that they would lay on that, their bed maybe at the end of their lives and say, I have done and used my gifts in a way that pleases a God who made me. Thank you for using us, because we, uh, we demonstrate regularly that we don't deserve that privilege. And thank you that you're not done with any of us. I pray that if anyone needs to make a decision today, that they would be bold enough to do so, humble enough to make the change, like Paul. I pray that you would use us in a way that furthers your kingdom and makes a difference for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.